0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Six Minute Counselor. I'm Gary, your host, and today we have a very special feature we're going to be adding to the show. This is something that I've really enjoyed listening to other podcasts, and I thought, why not do it on Six Minute Counselor? So, we're going to be introducing Six Minute Counselor interviews, where I talk to somebody, whether professional or layperson, about mental health. So, today's episode, the very first interview we have with Rain Wallace, who is the owner and founder of Fort Wellness Counseling right here in Fort Worth, Texas, and you may hear a little (sighs) in the background. For those of you who have been uh, in a therapist office, sometimes they use those sound machines just as an added layer of security and privacy. So if you do hear that in the background, that's what that is. Without further ado, my super fun interview with Rain Wallace. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of 6 Minute Counselor. We're going to start doing some interviews and today we are with Rain Wallace. Rain's a licensed professional counselor. He's a founder at Fort Wellness Counseling in Fort Worth, Texas. I'll make sure to include a link so you can find Rain on my website, my Facebook page, and my Instagram pages. Um, that was an introduction for Rain. I also wanted to do something he didn't want. Uh, he's gotten two really, really important awards. Top three therapists in Fort Worth in 2001 and 2022. So. Rain was a little little more humble, uh, didn't want to, to say that, but I wanted to point that out there and, and give, you the, give you the kudos uh, that you deserve. <laughs> so how are you doing today? Doing great. How about yourself? Doing well, doing well. I'm watching the rain in the forecast. I don't know about your lawn, but mine is uh, oh. the color of some of these, these brown tables in here. But other than that, uh, you know, I really can't complain too much. Right. Uh, so Rain, before we get started, I actually wanted to share a, a real quick story. So Rain and I uh, know each other. We met years ago, kind so, of, yeah. kind of in passing, not really uh, officially, but Rain's wife is one of my twin sister's best friends.
1: Maid of honor, right?
0: Or matron of honor? I think, yeah. in, in her wedding. Yes, I, yeah, I think so. Actually, yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah, I think so. And so Lori, my, my sister, was like, "You got to meet Rain. You got to meet Rain." And I was like, "Okay, okay." And I never, and I finally met with you uh, several uh, several weeks ago, and I was like, "I should have done that earlier." Um, but I don't know if you remember this, Rain. You, you took a training that I ran, or I co-facilitated, uh-huh. uh, when I was um, uh, in my previous job. And the training was on hearing voices that are distressing. And it was a simulation training where you put on headphones and you listen to, to what people who hear voices listen to on a daily basis. And then you had to do tasks and ask answer qu- answer questions and all that stuff. I said, you know what, a lot of my clients who hear voices say that people get impatient and people are a little rude or snippy. I said, let's put that in the training. It's a great idea, Gary. You can be the snippy one. I was like, oh, cool. So I, my station was a, it was kind of a fake psyche vow. So I'm asking questions. And I don't know if you remember this part of it, um, but I asked a question, and you said, I'm sorry, what, what? And I said, just answer the question. And the look on your face was like, I'm telling Sarah about this, she's going to tell Lori, and Gary's going to talk him too. After the train, I did tell everyone, like, hey, that was part of it, that was an act, I'm not actually a jerk, and I think I saw in your, I looked at your face, I'm like, please make sure you're listening to this part. <laughs> so did do, do you remember that at all, when I was kind of snippy with you? Uh,
1: I don't remember you being snippy with me. The take home I remember from that was that I could not hear, like, I couldn't, I was having a very difficult time answering questions, and like, they're very mm-hmm. basic questions, and I was having a hard time doing it, and so my take home from that thing was just like empathy for clients mm-hmm. that are hearing voices and like how hard that is, and I didn't think anything of it. And I think I remember you even apologizing to me afterwards being like, hey, I wasn't trying to be snippy, <laughs> yeah. and I remember being like, dude, it's part of the training. Like, I totally understand it. Like, yeah, no, you did a good job with that. That was a, a great training.
0: Yeah, no, I took it years ago, and yeah, that empathy um, just be like, oh, wow, this is actually what, what they go through, and yeah. yeah, it is a little harder to answer someone else's question when someone is also talking to you that no one else can see yeah i would say for the people
1: that are listening to this right now i mean picture yourself like putting on uh, headphones at like volume 100 and then someone asking you questions at like a super fast pace
0: um and you cannot understand anything yeah yeah it's 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 harder than you think and you can find simulation stuff on online youtube and you can do it and Try to do a task. Try to read a book with that. So, yeah, it's it's a lot more difficult than, uh, than people think. Uh, so, Rain, let's jump into these questions. <coughs> so this is a question I always ask uh, anybody in the mental health industry um, or really just in the helping profession in general. What made you want to get into this industry that really, I, I feel like, doesn't pay what it's worth, maybe at times a little underappreciated? What What made you want to get into the mental health industry? Yeah, that's
1: a, that's a great question. I mean, starting off, I think in school growing up for a long time, I wanted to be a doctor, uh, came, apart, came across a really traumatic drinking and driving accident, actually. Um, I was the first on the scene for that, and it really, really shook me, and I remember after that just being like, I do not want to do anything that is anywhere close to anything medical having to do with blood, or just like, you know, just gory things. I mean, it was, it was very traumatic for me. I was 16 at the time, and so that was kind of like, no, I don't want to do that. Um, I, you know, I don't think I ever thought I was smart enough to be a doctor, truthfully. Um, I, I remember at one point, my dad was a doctor actually, and I, I told him one time I wanted to be a lawyer, and he, that look that you were just talking about earlier, of that disgust, or like those cold eyes, or just like, mm-hmm. you know, this guy's being super irritable, or just like, what is he doing? My dad did not want me to be a lawyer, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, I, I just remember that growing up. But anyways, that has nothing to do with me wanting to, to get into the field or whatever. But I guess just the short answer to the question, I, I guess I'm kind of trying to deflect the, the question to begin with. But really just like some difficult times that I went through in my like late teenage slash early adulthood life. I don't think I was personally equipped to deal with life on life's terms at an early age. I think I was having a hard time just dealing with life and being out on my own and trying to figure out adulthood. And I put a lot of pressure on myself, too, with trying to, you know, just do something really big or successful or whatever that was. came from a very high, successful family and just, you know, a lot of pressure that we put on ourselves from that. And so I guess long story short, though, would just be that difficult time was like depression, anxiety, things like that had a lot of panic attacks from that drinking and driving accident actually. And so I uh, attended counseling uh, a few different times, but early 20s, I I had a counselor that I was working with and uh, Dr. Barbara Moore, and she was off of Forest Park. She was actually located quarter mile, rock throw away from this office right here. And just the impact that she had on my life uh, was huge. So there was that part, but then secondly, I remember during that time period, uh, prior to that, like I just wasn't happy, and I had a friend one time just asked me how I define success, and so for a long time I thought that that was equated with money and things like that, but when he asked me that question, it uh, it helped me realize that for me success meant just being happy, um, having my basic needs met, but just being happy, content, and enjoying what I'm doing, and so. At that point in time I kind of realized the dollar signs were not going to be associated with that and uh, just the personal reward of being able to help people I was always growing up I was kind of like always somebody that people would talk to and things like that I guess I had a good ear for people and so I don't know if I was naturally empathetic or, or, or how that was but just really enjoyed helping people and so I think the combination
0: of all those things kind of lent me in that direction. Awesome man that is that's a great answer. That's very thorough. I like it. I mean, I, I ask that question all the time, and uh, I get such a, a slew of things. But I, I love that. You know, a, a big part of what I heard is I, w- I wanted to give back. Mm-hmm. You know, someone helped me out, and I want to you know give back. Give back, and yeah, we won't get into how to solve the problems of the world, but I think that's one of the solutions. Um, to you know have that reciprocity. So that's awesome. Uh, so, Rain, you know, in the mental health field, you know, whether you're. Uh, Unlicensed, working towards license, license. I mean there's a, a bunch of different places that you can work at. Private practice is one of those. What made you want to do private practice versus another venue in this in this industry?
1: Uh, that's a good question. So I guess one part of that answer would be just the the way that I kinda got introduced to the field was by me going to see a counselor in a private practice setting, right? And she was private pay and so that was kind of like always how I like envisioned uh, private practice. She was later on in her career and so I just, I did there's that part, but then two, there's another side of it too, where I did some nonprofit work. I worked for a governmental agency, uh, the Community Supervision and Corrections Department, which is just adult probation, essentially. And, and I was working in the substance abuse field and working with clients that were court-ordered to treatment. So the judge said, you have to go to treatment. Um, you know, you must do this. And so it was a lot of like what I would call external motivation, which is just when somebody else is trying to get somebody else to change and so there's just a lot more barriers when it comes to counseling within that part of it or just I wouldn't say barriers but it's just different targeted interventions and things like that and like ways that you're going to approach the client I mean you're not going to just jump right into it right out of the gates you know and you know first it's going to be kind of just addressing the resistance and all that kind of stuff and so I guess part of the private practice part was um, you know people are coming in here they're paying money good money and they're wanting help you know they're just unloading on you, which is just so refreshing. And it's like what I went to school for. I went to school to like really dive into therapy, really help people. And so I guess that would be the the long answer for that is just, um, those two things right there. You know, it's funny
0: you say it's so refreshing to have someone unload all their problems onto me, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but you know, that's, uh, I've, I've, I've felt that before where I'm like, yeah, bring it on and whatnot, but, uh, but that's awesome. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. You know, you can lead a horse to water but you can't make a drink. Right. And so you know, I, I have had those clients that, that are like, I'm only here because of blank. I'm like, okay. And then, yeah, it's a completely different approach. Um, interesting, challenging. I enjoyed it. But, uh, but yeah, I, I definitely uh, can, can empathize and resonate with a lot of what that said. Um, you can also, so this next question, y'all can go to Rain's website at uh, Fort Wellness. It's fortwellness.com, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can look up uh, all those different specialties and whatnot, and it's a, I'm actually trying to make my website look more like your website, a little more <laughs> professional. Um, but what are some of your top specialties? What are some of the main things that you see and help with? Yeah, so I
1: think my bread and butter is going to be addiction, uh, drug and alcohol abuse, uh, pornography, things like that. And so those would be, uh, I think, what I'm, I'm best at. I also work a lot with like depression, anxiety, things like that. Um, I don't do as much trauma work, uh, truthfully. I'm actually slated to do a, an EMDR training here in a couple of months, which I'm really excited about because I've been kind of limited in that professional capacity, and so I'm gonna be going in that direction right there, doing an EMDR training, and so really excited about that. Um, so I don't specialize in trauma. That is an area where I've uh, you know come to realize that I need to get some like, additional training on. Uh, but yeah, drugs, alcohol, alcohol abuse, depression, anxiety, um, all that kind of fun stuff. Okay.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And so I, I I'm sure you get the same question from family and friends, "Hey, I need to find someone to go talk to. <laughs> and, you know, who should I talk to? What should I look for?" And one of the very confusing things, it's confusing for me as someone in this field, and I can only imagine for someone who's not in this field, you know, what all these different letters mean. And so behind your name, there are four groups of letters L, uh, MS, LPC, LCDC, and SAP. Uh, can you tell me just real briefly what those four So the first one's your master's, right? Yep. Uh, can you tell me what the LPC, LCDC, and SAP stand for and kind of what those mean?
1: Yeah, so the master's was uh, marriage and family therapy, the LPC stands for licensed professional counselor. The LCDC stands for Licensed Chemical Dependency Counselor, and then the SAP stands for Substance Peace Professional. Each different license has different requirements. Uh, so when I was in grad school, I was working as an LCDC intern, actually. And so when I was working towards my LPC license, I was working as an LCDC intern because that one is actually just like an associate's level licensure. You'd only have to have uh, an associate's degree, I believe, and then think you have to get 4,000 hours of clinical work to be able to get fully licensed in that one and that's strictly related to like drug and alcohol counseling and so I did that while I was working on my master's degree and then LPC is more it requires I think (coughs) when I finished uh, my master's was a 60 hour program but the LPC at that point in time was a 48 hour licensure uh, for grad school I believe that sounds right yeah I think they've changed it to 60 since then Uh, I believe so um, but you have to have forty hour, 48 hours of grad school experience and then also like 3,000 hours of clinical uh, clinical hours. And so while you're under supervision too, half of those I believe have to be direct. I, it's been a while since I've done that. so
0: That also sounds right. I think it's, it's 1,500 that you have to
1: have that are direct, I believe. And that sounds right. Yeah. Um, so it's like 1,500 hours of direct hours with clients. And then the SAP stands for Substance Abuse Professional. And that's kind of a... There's not many SAPs in this area. It essentially is a uh, certification through the National Association. Um, It's NIDAC, N-A-A-D-A-C. I'm struggling with the full acronym right now, but uh, essentially what that means is that I'm qualified to be able to do like SAP evaluations. So think about it like this. Uh, Back in the 80s, there was a terrible train accident that led to, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I want to say it was like 150 people that died. And the locomotive engineer that was driving that train was under the influence of either alcohol or drugs. I can't remember which one. And so, because of that, the government said, We've got these people that are in these like highly safety sensitive positions, and they need to be having like random drug tests. So, pilots, locomotive engineers, people that work in the Coast Guard, like on ships, uh, people that work on the pipelines and the oil and gas industry, uh, CDL, so truckers as well. And then also, people that are aviation mechanics that work on airplanes. And so, essentially, they have to do like these random drug tests to make sure that they're not completely jacked up while they're flying a plane and things like that. Yeah. If they have a positive drug test, then they're required to go through the process, the SAP process, to where they have like a drug and alcohol evaluation and then have to do some type of treatment recommendation and then come back and see me for, you know, follow up to make sure that they took care of business and that they're, uh, you know, making good progress towards their goals and things like that, too. And so, that just means I'm qualified to
0: evaluate people that have uh violated those drug tests right there. Okay. That that you answered <coughs> my next question I was gonna ask exact exactly because I saw it on your website. There's that evaluation and, and the SAP stuff, so that's that's perfect. You're you're reading my mind. Um and so these letters behind names, why why is it important for someone to pay attention to those letters? What like if you give, could give like the layperson a real quick piece of advice like Make sure you know what those letter mean. Letters mean, and it's important to pay attention to them. why is that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important that you're attending therapy with
1: somebody that has like the qualifications to be able to do therapy. Um, that they have been they they've met the license requirements. I mean, it's like the, the you know lawyers they have the board, uh, the bar exam that they have to pass. They also have to um, get licensed through the state. Doctors have to get licensed through the Texas Medical Association or board or whatever that is. They have to take, like, the, the minimal requirements. Counselors also have to have, like, the basic, like, educational requirements and then also pass the ed- educational test, too, that says, like, you know, you're competent and doing what you're doing. And then also, you know, the, like, the LPC licensed um, LMFT has a similar deal. So does uh, LCSW where it's, like, you're having to get a ton of different hours mm-hmm. for getting experience to be able to do what you're doing. And so, you know, it's, I think you want to be able to find somebody that's, license that knows what they're doing that has good experience with it and that the state board has basically said yeah they've met all these qualifications and they're following these qualifications they're they're following these rules and statutes too because as a counselor as an lpc you know my you know you're asking about like friends and family that are asking for a counselor right like we can't recommend ourselves to like a friend that calls (laughs) us you know it's like hey um, you know, from your best friend, it's like I'm needing to do therapy. Can you do therapy with me? And it's like, no, I can't. It's like, that's a dual relationship. We cannot do that. So we have like strict rules and regulations and ethics that we have to follow too. And so I think that would be a lot of the reasons why it's going to be important to find somebody that has those
0: qualifications. Yeah, I know someone that I referred to you. Um, they said, I can't see you, right? I said, nope, no, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, some people get
1: it. Some people don't. You know? Yeah, yeah,
0: they they got it, but they're like. Right? It's like, yeah, no, like, okay, I understand, I understand. Um, so, uh, it's kind of when you kind of touched on this a little bit. What are some of the main considerations you would uh, suggest someone take into when they're trying to pick a therapist or a counselor?
1: Uh, that's a good question, one I get a lot too. Um, so, I like to think of it as a quadrant is the way I start off with that. So I think of it as, like, first two questions I'll ask somebody is, like, first of all, do you want to have a male therapist or a female therapist? I feel like most people, by and large, like, gravitate towards one or the other. I don't think there's a right answer for that. But I do think that there's a right answer for that particular client. So male versus female. And then the second part is going to be whether or not they want to go through insurance or for private pay. And so that quadrant right there kind of breaks it down into... The different options that are going to be available um, you know when it comes to not knocking on uh, therapists that take insurance but I do think that there's some barriers when it comes to health insurance and things like that I mean they just basically their insurance companies are like dictating how therapy should go and personally like I don't think that somebody that's <clears throat> living or working in corporate headquarters you know 2,000 miles away is gonna be the expert in the client that's in my room right like yeah. I think that I know what I'm doing with them and I don't want the the health insurance to to dictate that that and then they also pay a lot lower rates too and so you know I think it would be fair to say that you're probably gonna find some of the better counselors out there that are private pay. not to say that there are not good counselors that take insurance or that are in the nonprofit world by all means but you know I think that just with anything in life there's gonna be a little bit of like you kind of get what you pay for I would say Mm -hmm. Um, so there's that um, presenting reasons for attending therapy, right, I think is a huge question, and so if you're wanting to find somebody for depression or anxiety or drug and alcohol abuse would be something to do. I also think another part would be proximity to your house. Um, I remember when I was in high school, I was taking golf lessons in, like, Dallas, right? It was, like, a 45-minute drive or an hour drive, and I used to love doing it, but, like, that's a long drive. It is. So if you're going to find a counselor or a therapist that's, like, an hour away, like, what are the chances of that you're actually going to stay consistent with it, right? And so I would say, find something within close proximity for however you know your comfortable distance for me it's like 15 minutes I would say I would like to find something within 10 to 15 minutes of me so those would be I think part of the some of the main reasons for uh or what what I would look for when it comes to finding a counselor and then also sorry no go ahead (laughs) um I would also like encourage people to like whenever they're doing that process I mean you can use like psychology Today or google or ton of different resources that are out there you know you can also like go to counselors websites their psychology today profile and just kind of like look at it and try to get a feel for what they're writing down you know just see if it seems like somebody that you feel like you could talk to or not but with that being said too though i think sometimes you know us, us counselors we're like shoes some fit better than others doesn't mean that it's a bad shoe as much as it is just it's not a good fit for you and so you know i tell my clients all the time it's like look if you come to the first session with me and it's just not a good fit let me know. There's a ton of therapists in this area that do great work, and so yeah. that's another part of it too. I remember
0: when I, I was doing my practicum, it was a, a, a domestic violence uh, center, Safe Haven of Tarrant County, mm-hmm. phenomenal resource. Yeah. And there was a woman. Uh, I saw mostly women. I saw one male, adult male. I saw one fourteen year old male. The rest were all female. And she, I did seven sessions with her, and she, I just nothing. And I'm brand, I'm green, nothing. I talked to my supervisor, and she said, "Ask her if she wants a female." It never popped into my head. I was just like, everyone's going to want to talk to this white guy, right? And I asked her, and she goes, yes. I said, "Ah, please, like, tell me. And she was like, you're not going to be mad. I said, no, I want you to see who you need to see. And then I always encourage the same thing to clients. Like, it's not a bad thing to say, you're just not a good fit for me. Right. So, yeah, I I love that. um, And making sure that that fit part is a really good, uh, really good in there. So, perfect. Um, So, this next part, and, uh, you know, I, I listened to a previous podcast interview that you did, and uh, there's a comment that was made that, um, not by you, you answered it very well, I thought, Of like, well, if someone knows that counseling is available and they don't do it, then that's shame on them. And you're like, that's not that easy. So why do you think people are, are most hesitant, or some common reasons they're hesitant, to actually just start the counseling process? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a,
1: that's a really good question, and I... Uh, yeah great question there's a lot of barriers that go into that for instance for one it's like the fear of the unknown right I think that counseling is a huge like for one we're kind of like programmed as a society not to talk about feelings you know just kind of pick it up by the bootstrap just get going you know don't be a little baby you know we're kind of taught these like societal supplemental messages that kind of talk teach us it's not okay to like process things and be in tune with our emotions and things like that and so i think that there's a lot of like society and culture barriers as well with that being said i think that we're you know that that part's improving you know like i know that i'm a lot more prone to send my kids to therapy than maybe my parents generation would be right and so um i think that there's that part of it but yeah just the fear of the, the unknown there's also like vulnerabilities right like For me like just even talking about the depression part on the beginning of this podcast you know like that's highly vulnerable for me like I don't want to like just shout that from the mountaintop I've come a lot more okay with that and it's taken years to get there but I think a lot of people struggle with some of those internal things of like something's really inherently wrong with me or um, I'm the only one that's going through this like no one else is going to be able to understand like you have no idea what it's like Um, because a lot of those Things that we see clients for whether or not it's like drug and alcohol abuse or depression or anxiety a lot of times people going through that stuff feel like that a they're the only one that's going through that and b that no one else is going to be able to understand with it and so i think that's another part of it uh finances could be a reason you know maybe money maybe they're thinking that uh, financial reasons could be a barrier or maybe even like i can't take off of work to go see a counselor right now like so maybe that could be another one of it and so I don't know, I think those are some of the ones that are just kind of coming to the top of my head now that you asked me that, you know, like if I was doing a research paper on it or something like that, I'm sure I could come up with some more reasons, I mean,
0: what am, what am I forgetting here? Uh, one of the big ones I've heard, especially my trauma survivors, is I don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. My trauma yeah. survivors yep. are, are often very mean to themselves. Yeah. I told one, I said, you're your own abuser. Your abuser has is, is, been dead for 10 years, mm-hmm. but you've taken over his place, so I don't deserve it um, is, is another thing. I don't deserve to talk to someone who's going to actually be nice to me, Right. so forget about it. Yeah. But I hear that a lot.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, sometimes I, I hear clients, like, jokingly say, like, okay, you're going to make me, like, lay down on this couch, and you're going to, like, hypnotize me now, you know? Like, we <laughs> kind of have this, like, Freudian view of, like, right. what therapy is, and so, like, that's another part of it, too. You know, people... Don't really understand what therapy is. And then yeah. and maybe, too, like, barriers even with uh, people that are hesitant to just, like, open up, right? Like, they don't want to open up to a complete stranger at the same time. Like, I think that we're trained to, like, meet people where they're at and to not push them too much until they're ready for it, too. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I, you know, I say to people, like, are you super hesitant to talk to a doctor about your medical problems? They're like, no, not really. It's like, well, you know, counselors, we're dealing with, you know, issues or problems or concerns or questions or goals that you have, you know, and we are trained, we are, you know, licensed, that kind of thing, so, uh, but yeah, Um, all right, so for those who may not quite be there, like, I'm ready to pull the trigger, go talk to a therapist, what are some, some, some suggestions you would give them of things they can do before seeing a therapist if they're not there yet? uh maybe just work on what the
1: reasons are for them going to therapy you know maybe just working past that denial within themselves about why they want to go maybe they could start thinking about what their life would be like without having those problems you know maybe what it would be like to have that free from them like that weight off their shoulders like how refreshing it would feel if this was not going on and then try to reverse engineer that well how do i get there what can i do to to do that um you know, maybe some other, like, self-help techniques, maybe Googling, um, you know, just coping skills, things like that, too. Maybe listening to some podcast about what counseling is or what it, what, it's, what it's like, things like that. So maybe even asking some of their friends or family, too. Um, you know, like, I was at a friend's lake house this weekend. Actually, your sister's lake house. Yeah. Um, and I heard several people talking about their counselor, which was, like, so refreshing to hear for me. Like I, lo- like, I don't know about you, man, but I just, like, I get really like, amped up when I hear people talking about therapy and like there's nothing to it. Uh, yeah. That just really excites me because it means we're breaking down that stigma.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I was talking to somebody, it was a client of mine, and, and they said, you know, the assumption that us therapists have it all together, we're always happy, we're never sad, never angry, <laughs> and, and you know, our kids have the best parents in the world, and it's like, no, it's not the <laughs> case. I wish that'd be fantastic. Um, but I told the client, I said, you know, if I walked around the office right now, and in, in that office, I w- this was when I worked at the homeless clinic, I think this goes for any office, um, and interviewed everybody, man, if half the people were seeing counselors, that might seem like low number to me, mm-hmm. or, or at least if half the people were like, I need to, or I want to, or I'd like to, or I'm working on myself. Uh, but yeah it's it's one of those things that like you said it's like shh, shh, shh don't don't talk about it yeah you know but I, I like and i love it too i'm like oh yeah my counselor this i'm like yeah people actually see counselors it's not something you do in the shadows right um or should be not in the shadows i guess i should say so yeah, but yeah so i love that and y'all can't see this but i'm 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 jotting down notes of this stuff and one of the reasons i Side selfish reason I'm doing interviews is because I just want to get smarter by listening to people who know these things, and I love the question: What would things be like for you if you didn't have these problems? Yeah, um, that's a great question. That I'm a, I'm totally stealing that. I think that's kind of a what I would call like a solution focused question, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, just absolutely.
1: all that part of it. Yeah,
0: um, that's one right into my repertoire.
1: While we're talking about that too, like while we're on the topic earlier about like reasons why people aren't attending therapy, I would I would tell you guys out there that are listening to this, like shoot me an email, go to my website, there's the contact form, use that, send me a list of reasons why you think that people aren't attending therapy and why they're not because look, I attended therapy 15 20 years ago. I'm currently attending therapy. Um, I've done it three different times now, and I've been in the therapy world for the last 10 years or so. I mean, 2008, I think, is when I started working in the therapy world, and so I'm completely like I just I feel like I'm so far on this side of the equation that I'm I'm sure that there's some things that I'm missing too and so I would love to hear some of those common
0: common reasons as well that's awesome and yeah and again and again this will be on uh, website, my website Facebook Instagram but fortwellness.com if you wanted to shoot a message and just yeah I love that that stuff like why not like, what are some of your personal reasons and yeah I'd love to hear some more of that stuff so if you hear that send, send the, the what you get my way um all right, so I—I I don't know about you, but I always cringe, not always, but often cringe when I see like TV and movie therapy. I'm like, <laughs> that's not therapy. <laughs> um, one of the my most cringe-worthy things is in Six Hundred Pound Life when they're not meeting their weight loss goal. Then Doctor Now's like, well, now you have to go to th- go to therapy. <laughs> like it's not a punishment. Yeah, it's like they probably uh-huh. should be starting with therapy with you, but right. Um, so what are some common misconceptions you you have heard uh, people have about therapy? Right. That's a,
1: that's a good one, too. Like, when I think about the movie stuff, too, it makes me think of The Departed, you know, where, like, the client starts having sex with the therapist, which is just, like, a total no-no. I mean, we lose our license if that yeah. happens, right? I mean, so I don't think that's a misconception. I don't think people think that, but that's something that's on. I mean, that was a... Is it Core Stacey or, I can't remember that guy's name that directed that movie. He's a super, super famous director. And, uh, you know, that was on, you know, a a huge film. And so, like, no, that that is not how therapy works. That does not happen. Uh, Counselors lose their license for that. Um, And so I guess some misconceptions, maybe the whole, like, laying on the couch, you know, that we're going to, like, hypnotize you. I mean, there are some hypnosis therapists that are out there, I think. Uh, that might be part of it. I also think that uh, maybe that we're going to jump right into it, maybe. Um, That, you know, we're just going to, like, throw everything out there. I mean, I think every therapist is different. I kind of am probably, like, I I let my clients take the lead on on that for how quickly they they dive into things. I mean, you know, sometimes we might go five or ten sessions before someone starts bringing up something that might have happened in childhood or um, some type of traumatic incident or maybe even, like, something that they're just – like grossly ashamed about like they have a lot of shame and guilt about and so um there's that I, maybe a misconception could be that you're gonna throw the therapist off with how messed up you are or how like you know bizarre some type of behavior is that you did yeah. like I don't know about you man but it, nowadays it takes a lot to throw me off guard yeah like but but a lot of clients are like okay you've never heard this one before <laughs> and it's like man like I've heard 10 times worse than that <laughs> my 10am said that same story so yeah. yeah I've heard it before an hour ago yeah, yeah I mean but you know people think that they're the only one that's going through that so I guess those would be some common misconceptions that are coming to the top of my mind I'm, I'm drawing some blanks right now too
0: though so I'm sure I'm missing some ones on that one too I've heard mind tricks like you're just going to say something to get me to say something and then gonna. It, it's like no like that no that's and, and I it's a great movie but uh, Goodwill Hunting it's like it's not your fault And he just repeats it (laughs) over and over until he breaks down and he cries. And it's like, it's not my. I would love to be able to do that and someone just come to the realization that the abuse they endured as a child wasn't their fault by just repeating the same word. And so, yeah. um, I also don't do my sessions on the river on a park bench
1: right there, you know, like they did in that movie. But I'll tell you what, though, you asked me earlier about some things that like influenced me becoming a therapist. That movie actually was one of my favorite. Movies growing up, really? like how do you like them apples, right? Um, yeah, but then also Patch Adams, you know, like um, with Robin Williams. Oh man, you've got to watch that, it's a feel good movie. Um, and so, um, yeah,
0: that would be that one. Awesome, I got two, two movies on my movie list to, to check out. So, um, great. So, uh, so this next question I've, I've heard uh, on, on podcasts, interviews, things like that. Uh, I've seen them on social media posts and this one seems to I guess be a little controversial Um, and I can kind of understand in in, in some aspects of it, uh, but what are some of the differences you see and you've seen between what you are, a licensed counselor, someone who's gone to trainings, who's required to go to trainings if they want those letters behind their name, other people uh, who offer mental health services may not be licensed. So things like life coaches, uh, lifestyle experts, things like that. What are some of the main differences there? Um, Well for one like the
1: whole licensure part of it that we talked about earlier where someone is licensed and they have to go through like the educational requirements and things like that. You know I think a huge thing too is just like our board rules you know that stipulate how we're supposed to do things and somebody that's a life coach is gonna have free realm. They can do whatever they want to and Um, you know there are some like protective rules that are inside those like state regulations and um, our ethics and things like that that are designed to be uh, a benefit to the client so that we don't do harm right and so I think that there are some huge parts right there I mean I also think too when it comes to like life coaches um, for one like anybody can call themselves a life coach like you're the one that you know for those of you all that are listening to it like just say you're a life coach and boom that's what it takes you've you know that's that's essentially what it takes and so there are some like certifications you can do you know maybe like a thousand bucks or something like that that you can pay for to become like a certified life coach but anybody can say that they're a life coach and so um but also too though like I think a huge part of it is going to be has to do with like just the theoretical theories that we learn in counseling and therapy like I think that there are a lot of different therapeutic modalities and theories that are used that we learn about that have been studied and researched since you know the the 30s or 40s right going back to the palo alto days in california and so i think um that would be a big part of it but yeah just um training and educational requirements and things like that and then also too for the life coaches and and not knocking on them there's a lot of good life coaches that are out there and i think that they can serve a purpose for some good stuff too. You know but also like direct supervision hours you know where you're having to like talk to somebody that's been in the field for a lot longer than you that's kind of giving you feedback and advice for how to work with your clients and then also the the number of hours that it takes to become that level right there and so you know like a question for a life coach could be like how many hours of direct client care have you given right and so like it kind of makes me think of like back in my early days when you know, I think of, I mean, my early days would be like my first five years. I mean, I still feel like, um, I feel a lot more competent in my ability as a therapist today than I did 10, 15 years ago at the same time. Like I still have so much to learn, you know? And I think that's one thing that our profession does a great job at is drilling home. Maybe it was just the university I went to, but just drilling home the importance of like continuing education and like, you don't know everything and like, you need to learn, learn, learn. And so, yeah, I think that would be a, a short
0: answer right there. Or, yeah. No, I'm sorry, long answer. <laughs> well, I, no, I had a family member ask, like, how much after grad school did you continue to learn? I'm like, constantly. Kind Con- like like one of the certifications I have. It's a, it's a big, long training. We have to take CEs uh, throughout the year and specific ones, ethics, sex trafficking, stuff like that. Um, and so that, and, you know, I've, I've heard a million professions say this, like, the second I'm done learning is... That's when I need to retire. That's yeah. when I need to switch this, this uh, profession. Or, or the day that I'm dying, you know? The yeah. day I start dying. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I got, I got a few more questions just uh, to wrap things up. Um, so, someone who is thinking about, so maybe they're in, if we're talking about like stages of change, that mm-hmm. pre contemplation or contemplation stage, so maybe contemplation, they're thinking about receiving mental health services. What's one good or some strong pieces of advice
1: you would give them? Uh, I would say come up with a pros and cons list if they're in the contemplation stage. Um, so when it comes to stages of change model, you know, Prochaska, this lady that was studying people that were quitting smoking, I think it was like 70s or 80s or something like that. She she came up with this theory called the stages of change model and just quick going over it has to do with like, there's like several different uh, mo- like uh, categories within that model. And essentially it just means that people are at, whether or not, think of like your New Year's resolution. Um, people are at different, stages when it comes to the whole change process right stages of change and so the, the first model is, the first part of it's going to be pre-contemplation which is just a fancy way of saying denial then there's contemplation where you're actually kind of thinking about doing it but you're not sure um, then there's going to be preparation where you're actually committed to making that change and then you start preparing for making that change then there's the action stage where you're actually doing that st- that change and Typically, I think of that one as like short term, maybe the first three months of doing the change, and then the maintenance uh, phase after that, which um, is maintaining that change over a long period of time. And then, unfortunately, she noticed when people were quitting smoking cigarettes that some of them relapsed, and so you know, so it can kind of be a, a cycle, right? Um, but for the contemplation stage, the one that you're they're asking the question about, it's for people that are contemplating whether or not they should go to therapy or not. Um, I would say come up with the pros and cons list, Um, you know, maybe the pros of going to therapy and the cons of going to therapy. I would say the pros of making this change and the cons of making this change. I would say look at the reasons for resistance, like the reasons why you don't want to go, um, and looking at those and and questioning yourself on those. Um, You know, I think of the contemplation stages like a seesaw where someone's, uh, you know, just kind of going back and forth, up and down on, maybe I want to make this change, maybe I don't, you know, and so I would tell yourself, uh, you know, just to try to make that commitment, Um, just maybe make yourself do one thing today that's going to get you to that next stage, you know, like what would be one small thing that would, would move you to the preparation stage, which is where you start getting ready for it, you know, maybe start looking at things, maybe asking a family or friend, like I mentioned earlier, Um, talking to people about if they've gone to therapy, whether or not it was helpful for them, things like that too. So um, yeah, I think that that would be maybe my suggestions right there.
0: My, what am I missing here on this one? I think, well, you mentioned talk to family or friends and you know, there's, there's often so much shame or stigma and, and like, hey, I've got a problem. I'm drinking too much, I'm depressed, I get panic attacks. Um, in my experience, there's such a, such a discrepancy where someone's like, I don't want to talk to someone about it—a family friend, uh, a friend, whatever—because I don't want them to judge me. Yeah. And then on the flip side of it, I s- they say, Yeah, I talked to them. I said, What happened? They didn't judge me. They treated me kind. Like if it's someone you trust yeah. and you like, and who has your best interest in mind, they're gonna most likely treat you well about it. Right. You know, and pick and choose who you talk to. You know, don't talk to the person who doesn't believe that mental illness is a thing, and maybe don't talk to them about your. But yeah, more often than not, afterwards they go, huh, they were a lot nicer to me than I thought they were going to be. Yeah. Yeah, it usually happens.
1: Right, and, like, that wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. You know, I get that a lot with therapy. It's like, man, that was nothing like I thought it was going to be. Like, that was, I feel so much better, you know? Like, I'm already starting to feel better, things like that, too. So, and then also maybe doctors, too. Maybe their primary care physician. Uh uh, Maybe it could be somebody that they've talked to. Um, I know within the medical world there's been a growing momentum of becoming more trauma-informed and and things like that, too. And Uh so I think maybe talking to a doctor about whether or not that might be helpful for them or they should consider it. it could be someone that they could talk to if they're, they're not wanting to talk to family and friends about it because yeah. you know I do think that there are some barriers when it or like not barriers but just I don't advise people to talk to family and friends about everything right like for yeah. instance like don't bad mouth your partner to your parents right like um if you bad mouth your partner to your parents 24 7 like they're probably going to start seeing this person in a negative light right and so um you know I, I don't know
0: don't want to reinforce that part of it yeah. No, it's, it. You know, you mentioned the when people say this was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. I remember years ago I was doing I was a substance abuse counselor, and I, I was doing the assessment. It's when's the last time you used substances, and the woman looked down at her watch. I go, well, that's not a good sign. I said, hopefully, I'm hoping she's looking at the date or the year. Going, it's been 11 years today or whatever. She goes. 15 minutes ago yep. I go oh <laughs> I said you can't come to the sessions under the influences and I was so nervous about it and, and I asked her I said is this as hard as you thought it would be she was no it's not so yeah I mean I, I hear that a lot where it is it was easier than I thought you know and, and I, I love the book the monster at the end of the book mm-hmm. and it's perfect I read that to adults I'm like I know it's a child's uh, children's book but it's what we do it's like there's a monster it's a monster and you get to the monster and it's like oh and in the book it's Grover She's <laughs> like, oh, I'm the monster, furry, furry, lovable old Grover. Right. It's like, you know, but the whole time it's like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, and, and I, I kind of see the same dynamic. Yeah, um, and it's like, oh, it's just me. Yeah, that's it's a good one. I like that. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I've read. I'm like, let me read you a book. And i are you, do you, are you really reading a children's book to me? Yes, I'm reading children's <laughs> book. Too. Tough
1: guys have feelings too. Could be a good one too. I love reading that one to my it's my two year old and or not my two year old. Sorry, Henry, you're only one. Uh, and. Jack, my four-year-old, uh, Tough Guys Have Feelings, too. It's a child's book that just basically says that it's okay to have feelings, which I love.
0: I have not... I have, I'm getting a ton of great stuff in this interview. Um, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, like, when, especially boys, like, boys don't... Like, I had one client said, my dad told me, out loud, boys don't have emotions. And he was a very angry man. I'm like, you know, anger's an emotion, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> sadness is not the only emotion out there. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I didn't know that growing up because my dad would yell at me all the time like, yeah your dad was a very emotional person if he was angry all the time right um, so if there's so we've been talking let's see we're almost done we've been talking for almost 45 minutes there's a lot of really really awesome stuff right that I'm, I'm get I'm getting from you and I'm, I hope our listeners uh, get as well um, I know whenever I listen to podcasts that are longer than 30-45 minutes I'm like oh, what did they say here what did they say there what's if there's one thing you would like someone to get out of today's interview what would that
1: one thing be? Man, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, one thing to take out of this interview, I would say that therapy isn't bad. That therapy's fun. Um, that therapy can really help you. That therapy has a lot of benefits. Maybe would be something. Um, just the importance of finding somebody that can provide like non-biased feedback to you and and help you out would be something. Um, you know. My last podcast i one of the things I told the guy was just tell yourself that you're not alone like mm-hmm. there's other people that can help you with this you know like um, but I guess kind of makes me think too of your contemplation question about that whole part of it you know and so I would say um, you know really consider attending therapy I mean I've got a lot of clients that you know you don't have to have a diagnosis to come to therapy you don't have to have depression, you don't have to have anxiety you could have frustration towards your boss because your hours were not approved for a vacation request or something very small, right? Like, it can be um, tiny things. I mean, I've got a lot of clients that, you know, are highly successful, and, and one of the reasons why they talk to me is just because they can't talk to the board of directors or they can't talk to their CFO or, you know, their operations manager about some of these different things, and they need to talk to somebody because they just need to have, like, a sounding board almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Long story short, with that one, um, I say long story short too much. I'm gonna <laughs> work on that one, uh, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think my take home would just be try therapy out. Look up Gary's website, check him out, um, attend a session with him, see how it is, and um, you know, I think it'll be surprising for for how much you'll like it. But I also feel a lot of pressure with that question right now because. You know, it's like I want people to have a good uh, image of mental health therapy and counseling and all that kind of stuff, too. So um, think of that perfect answer for yourself that if you're
0: listening to this and, and, and do that. Yeah. I want to I say it's, it's Jim Gaffigan, but don't quote me on that. But there's a comedian. He said, uh, you know, I went years with bad eyesight. And he said I, I went in to see the optometrist and i got classes or, or contacts something like that i was like why didn't i do this sooner <laughs> like i can actually see things right but i'd spent years just struggling with blurry vision for forever for you know he said no good reason you know makes it makes the joke about it um so yeah or hey, man this has been this has been a lot more fun than i thought it was i, I was looking forward to today but this was awesome i really enjoyed picking your brain um, really enjoyed the time before when you met with me and just kind of gave me some, some tips and pointers on you know private practice and whatnot. Uh, and I, man, I, I just can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your day uh, to talk with me and, and do this interview. Of course, happy to help. Um, as I mentioned, this stuff's going to be available on my website, uh, Facebook page, and Instagram page as soon as I get all this edited. Uh, you can find Rain Wallace. At fortwellness.com over here in Fort Worth, Texas. Ray, do you do telehealth services as well?
1: Yeah, I can do virtual sessions. Okay.
0: Uh, I'll be honest with you; I prefer the uh,
1: in person ones. At too. the same time, like, um, i yeah, I do have a lot of clients that do it on a virtual basis, and you know, if, if geographical reasons are a challenge for that, uh, if you're
0: inside the state of Texas, come on, come on out. I'd be happy to do it on a virtual basis too. Rain, thank you so much. I know you got some some, uh, clients uh, to get to later uh, today, but I appreciate your time and hope you have a good rest of your week. Awesome. Thanks so much, Gary. I really appreciate it. And now a disclaimer. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional mental health diagnosis or treatment. If you have serious questions about your mental health, please speak with a mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding your mental health.